0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Great to have you joining me. We're gonna do something different in this podcast, something I've done before. We're gonna do speed round Q and A with Stephen. Many people have written in with questions. Maybe one of them was even you, and I have compiled them and uh, looked at them and thought about which ones I want to answer and which ones are asked the most frequently. And so we're going to do a quick speed round of Q&A with Stephen. So let's get started. A number of people have written me asking about who I admire on the public scene today. Well, <laughs> there aren't many, uh, but in the U.S., I really admire the columnist George Will. Uh, part of the reason is that he writes so brilliantly and so incisively. He's a consistent libertarian conservative, but also because he had the courage to leave the, the uh, Republican Party when he simply couldn't Uh, hang in any longer. And I, even though I don't necessarily advocate that approach for everyone, I admire his courage. I admire his principles. I admire his resolve. I also admire a gentleman, also a columnist named David Frum. You may be familiar with him. He was a speech writer for George W. Bush. Um, He's a Jewish man, writes very wisely and very insightfully about American politics. And I admire them both as writers. Um, I admire a, a woman who's also a friend of mine, Uh, And who's in the US Congress, uh, whose name is Marsha Blackburn. She's one of the most uh, ferocious and wisest, I think, um, combatants in the pro-life cause on the Hill. Uh, She holds the line more consistently than almost any other conservative uh, up on the Hill. Um, uh, on certain matters of values and principles. I really admire her. Uh, Quite frankly, she's often overlooked by the good old boy network, Uh, but I think she's doing good work. I think she's doing solid work. I like her staff. I like her balance. I like her wisdom. I like her fire, Um, and I like her friendship. So uh, those are some people that I admire on the public scene today. I'm sure there are many others uh, similar to her, but I don't know who they are. And um, from where I sit, there's not really anyone like her. Uh, Many people have asked why I support the Kurds, given that there are 97% Muslim people and I am a Christian. Well, it's a good question. Happy to answer it. You know, when I am committed to a cause, I will team with anyone who is also committed to that cause. Um, for example, uh, I'm not, I've never hidden the fact that I'm pro-life, uh, and I have worked with Catholics when I'm a Protestant. I have worked with Muslims when I'm a Christian. I have worked with Jews when I'm obviously a Christian. In other words, I'll work with people, um, that I'm not hundred percent aligned with religiously, uh, in causes that I care about. That's the way a democracy works. That's the way America works. Uh, that's the way getting the job done works. So, Sure, uh, the the Kurds are 97% Muslim people, but as I've said many times on this podcast, they are very moderate uh, in their approach to other religions. There is a Christian department uh, in the Kurdish regional government uh, administrative building uh, in Erbil, Iraq. Uh, They are moderate on uh, Judaism. They have uh, the KRG, which is the the governing body of uh, the Kurdish uh, regional uh, area of northern Iraq, of of, of Iraqi Kurdistan, um, is uh, is actually very, very pro-Israel. They have treaties with Israel. They have trade agreements with Israel. Uh, And so. Very, uh, Even though they're 97% uh, Muslim, they are very moderate uh, on their attitudes towards other religions, uh, attitudes, again, towards Israel. Uh, I'm treated very well while I'm there. They're very grateful for what little I have done. Quite frankly, I've done very little. I've just written a book and done a TED Talk, basically, um, and lobbied a little bit up on the hill informally uh, in, in the cause of the Kurds. But they are very grateful, and they're very friendly, and they're very welcoming. The Kurds are known internationally for their hospitality reality. And I've been the recipient of that hospitality many times. So I certainly understand that someone standing outside of Islam might look and wonder what the heck Mansfield's doing as an outspoken Christian uh, supporting the Kurds. Well, I support them uh, because they are a people who are the largest people group in the world without their own homeland. I support them because they are the boots on the ground against ISIS. I support them because they have been friends to America when America has not always been a faithful friend to them. Uh, And I support them because they have been very well Welcoming of Christians. In fact, the Pope has commended them uh, for the way that the Kurdish regional government has uh, welcomed Christian refugees uh, from ISIS and from other parts of the world from the from the civil war in Syria. Um, So there are many, many reasons, and quite frankly, the final one is just that I find them to be. uh, I have so many friends among them. I I love them. I have friends among them. They've treated me well. They've at times protected my life, uh, and I'm very, very grateful to them. But. On a geopolitical level, um, they, I think, are, are and should be the world's next new nation, and I support them very strongly. So thanks for the question. Many people have asked me, uh, they've heard me occasionally mention leading tours to D.C. I'm not in the tour business, but I do occasionally uh, speak on and lead tours of Washington, D.C. I love my city. I love showing it off. I love people uh, learning about American history through the monuments and the inscriptions and the beautiful places in D.C., um, and I love telling the faith history of our country and of D.C., again, largely out of the monuments, out of the inscriptions, um, out of the uh, just, just the physical uh, remembrances of what's happened in our land, plus the food's awesome. So yes, I occasionally do that. I don't do it very often. Um, it's not something that I'm in the business to do, but I do like doing it for certain corporations, uh, certain schools, certain situations. If you want to ask us about that, you can write us at Steve. Stephen Many people have asked me about the best books about American Christianity. Well, I first got hooked on the whole topic of American Christianity by reading a three-book series that has begun with a book entitled The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall and David Manuel. I might not agree with every conclusion they make now, but at the time, it was the first time that anybody had written history engagingly, reflectively, almost devotionally uh, in a way that I could relate to and be challenged by. Now, since then, I've earned degrees in the field and uh, studied extensively and written extensively, and I might disagree with them, but not very much. Those were the books that got me launched. Uh, there have been some other books that have really helped me with American Christianity and American history as a whole uh, through a faith lens. One is Paul Johnson's, Paul Johnson, the famous British scholar, Paul Johnson's The History of the American People. Very good book that, though not specifically about Christianity or religion, uh, looks at history through a religious lens. I also like, on a far more popular and informal level, um, The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History by Thomas E. Woods. I imagine uh, many of you are familiar with these politically incorrect guides. They're funny, they're easy to read. And I really like the one called The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History. It's a good overview. It's a lot of fun. And uh, if, if you want something very academic and very heavy, uh, Yale scholar Sidney allstrom A-H-L-S, TROM has written uh, what's probably the standard textbook slightly left of center theologically uh and that would be uh, his book, A History of Christianity in America, um, very good, very solid, very scholarly. Uh, not going to be a lot of devotional information in there. Uh, treating religion very broadly. Again, an eminent uh, religious historian out of Yale, and again, theologically left of center, but still much to be gained there. I'd also recommend American Christian uh, History by Winthrop Hudson. Uh, all of these books have been very, very helpful to me, and I've enjoyed them immensely. Uh, somebody asked. Uh, people often ask me, "What am?" I reading now well I try to get this out on my social media mainly Twitter but right now I'm reading a book called the Kingdom it's about Saudi Arabia and the rise of the House of Saud in Saudi Arabia uh, many of you who follow me know I've just been to Saudi Arabia I've been lecturing in university there and so I've written a book I'm sorry I'm reading a book I wish I'd written it it's a very good book but by Robert Lacey this is a this is an old book decades old but I'm mainly reading the history sections and then I'm comparing his analysis of trends and, and uh, ideas in Saudi Arabia to what's happening now. This is some of the weird geeky stuff that I do. So Robert Lacey, The Kingdom is what I'm reading now. A number of people, uh, a number of men who have read my Mansfield's book of manly men uh, have challenged me about what I'm doing physically to challenge myself. In that book, I said, look, if you see me in an airport, if you meet me, uh, ask me what I'm doing. Challenge me because I live very much a office chair uh, limo, airplane, hotel room kind of life and and doing things that challenge me and and uh, having a little bit of the wild in my life is not easy. So I am doing two things. I'm preparing to do a historic hike by the time I'm 60. I'm 58 now. Uh, I'm gonna do a historic hike by the time I'm 60 and I am also training, uh, preparing myself to compete at a racquetball tournament. Uh, I used to play a lot of racquetball. I'd won, oh, I'd guess five or six trophies, not a massive amount. Um, I'm just talking about y- YMCA level competition. Um, but I've let that go just because it's so hard. You know, when you're playing racquetball, you've got to have a court and an opponent, and you in the same place at the same time. And uh, in the last decade, I've been very much on the move. But it hasn't been good for me physically. It hasn't been good for my soul. And I appreciate the challenge. But I'm planning to do a historic hike of some kind. Hike from London to uh, to Scotland, somewhere in Scotland, uh, maybe Edinburgh. Uh, hike the Trail of Tears. Hike the Appalachian Trail. Although that's not kind of, not really. The kind of hiking that I like uh, hike a distance in Israel, something like that uh, i 'm going to figure it out maybe i 'll just go up Masada, but uh, anyway i 'm getting in shape for a historic hike and i 'm going to play in a racquetball tournament. Uh, quite a few people asked me about some reading uh, regarding Celtic theology i'd mentioned Celtic theology a lot I mentioned that that 's my main theology. Um, Celtic theology is simply Christianity that was sort of um, that percolated in the British Isles. Uh, before the, before the Senate of Whitby in the mid 600s AD. And, uh, it's, it's not real. It's, it's a little bit what you might associate with Roman Catholic, but it has a strongly Celtic flavor, much more community oriented, much more arts oriented, much more oriented towards nature, much less platonic for those of you who care or understand what I'm talking about, uh, much less, um, western christianity um and so it's uh, it's it's unique in its orientation on nature community music art uh women uh, Etc. It's it's very powerful and uh, it has profoundly shaped my life. People are asking for recommendations. I strongly recommend a book by Michael Mitten, M I T T O N, called "The Soul of Celtic Spirituality." Michael Mitten. Uh, I read every day of my life from a devotional uh, developed by Calvin Miller, the well-known Christian author, and he's compiled what I think is a very moving devotional that I use every day of my life, and it's simply called Celtic. Devotions. Let's see if I can make out the subtitle here. A Guide to Morning and Evening Prayer. Celtic Devotions, A Guide to Morning and Evening Prayer. And uh, there are many books I would recommend, but one of them I strongly recommend is The Celtic Way of Evangelism by George G. Hunter III. The subtitle is How Christianity Can Reach the West, M dash, well, actually, ellipsis, again. How Christianity Can Reach the West, and then three dots again. Okay. So I strongly recommend that George G Hunter, the third, the Celtic way of evangelism. Those are books that have uh, meant a great deal to me and have, uh, have really challenged me. And there are others, but I would start with there. Uh, some people have asked me, and this, I get this question almost every week of my life, am I ever going to run for public office? I doubt I will ever run for public office. Now, I am very open to being appointed to something. Um, it would be the honor of my life, for example, to be appointed uh, the first U.S. ambassador to the Independent Republic of Kurdistan or something of that nature. Um, I am open to be appointed to something, but I just don't know that elected office is what I'm best made for. Um, but I do think that probably before I die, at least I'm open to uh, being politically appointed to something. And that's you know that's not a deep aspiration of mine, but it's something I'm open to uh, in a cause that I care about very much. Some people have asked, and it's kind of you to ask, how do you book me to speak? Thank you very much. Go on to Steve. TV, and just click on contact us or you'll see a bunch of book steven to speak buttons at various locations uh write us there and you'll get to the Um, you'll eventually reach the wise, the insightful, the beautiful, the skilled Karen Montgomery, uh, who is my executive assistant, and she will process that and discuss it with me and we'll get back to you. Okay. Um, A number of people who are involved in the men's movement that I'm part of and helping to feed and encouraging um, have asked me, what's my vision, what's my intent in this next phase of what I'm doing for men? I've written Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. I've written a book called Building Your Band of Brothers. Uh, I have uh, I speak a great deal on these topics. It's something I care very much about, uh, along with uh, a noble America and the cause of the Kurds and the cause of uh, understanding religion and our politics. You hear about this if, if you pay attention to me at all. You hear about the subject of men. What I'm very interested in doing is is building upon the emphasis on men that I'm seeing in America's churches and getting uh, above and beyond the church. I don't want to remove it from the church. Uh, The Protestant churches, for the most part, and not just Protestant, I've certainly done uh, gatherings in other kinds of churches, but um, for the most part, Protestant churches are the only institutions that budget for and uh, attempt to expand uh, reaching to men, challenging men to be real men. Very few other organizations have the budgets, the intent, and the planning to encourage men to be great men. I want to continue to help them, continue to feed them, continue to appear there, uh, continue to do everything I can to encourage that. But I want to see corporations have events for men. Uh, I, I want to see universities have events for men. Uh, I, I want to see other entities have events for men. And there's, that's not in any way diminishing what ought to happen for women. Um, there's a lot of great things happening for women, and I want to see those encouraged too. And I help with them and fund them and, and encourage the leaders and so on. It's not what I'm called to do. You don't want me talking to a room full of women. but. I'm delighted to talk to men. I just want to see it go beyond the churches. The churches can reach a certain portion of American society, let's say arguably half. Um, but there are a lot of other, a lot of men who will never darken the door of a church in our generation. Uh, and so what about the corporations doing this? If you encourage noble manhood, and I'm not even talking about necessarily with a religious orientation, just the principles of noble manhood, you will have stronger families. You will have he- healthier communities. Um, you will have... Um, better functioning ethnic groups, you will have a a, a more productive company, etc., etc., etc. So this is a cause I want to see get beyond just the four walls of the church, as delighted as I am as a Christian to work within the church, and I want to see it get outside. So that's what I'm working for uh, with my team. And then some people have asked me, uh, again, I've, I've mentioned this many times, but again, I have a daily discipline that I do with apps and some people have kind of been captivated by that. And so let me describe it one more time. And I'll mention the app specifically. If you want to grab a pencil, um, every day I read uh, the Bible and I do it on the U version, Y O U capital V E R S I O N U version Bible. This uh, Bible app is kind of a phenomenon, and uh, it's it's really done a lot of good because it really allows you not only just to read the Bible however you want, but it has many, many, many through-the-Bible programs, reading programs. You can go through the Bible in a year. You can go through the Gospels in 30 days. You can uh, read according to certain historic reading plans that monks use. There are certain large churches in the country that have reading plans, like Mariner's Church out in California, um, have a very good chronological uh, through-the-Bible plan. And so anyway, the U version Bible is what I read from every day, okay uh, then I, I I think what people are captivated by is not so much my Bible reading because that's fairly easy, um, but that I also make sure I get a dose of culture every day. So there are three apps that I use for that. One is I use daily art. Pro three words all with capital first letters daily art pro, and that basically that app sends a piece of art with a description uh, to my iPad, and then I can I can of course tap on that art and see it in full screen, and you know how beautiful if you have an iPad you know how beautiful the art is, and it's just uh, amazing. I can, I was yesterday um, actually looking at the uh, the brush strokes of. Um, of an artist just to absolutely open the thing up. I expanded the thing and I was actually studying, uh, the brush strokes of a famous artist. And that was very moving to me. I also use an app called masterpieces, and this is classical music, um, that I can, I can play a piece of a selection of every day. They update it from time to time. Uh, I don't have the musical background. I wish I did living with my wife, Beverly, who is a very well-known songwriter and producer and so on, and her, her having a rich musical life. Um, I have been challenged that uh, other than Ray Charles in my home, my father was a Ray Charles crazy and my parents love for and (laughs) Tysher for those of you who know who that is, who those guys are. Um, I didn't have that much of a classical music background. I mean, I listened to the cool stuff all of us kids used to listen to, um, but I didn't listen to the classical masterpieces and I have fallen in love with them. And this app allows me to listen to a piece every day. You know, even if I'm just on an airplane, uh, you know, listening through my earbuds, I can enjoy a classical piece, learn about it, read a bit about it, learn about the composer every day and both the education and the enjoyment and the, the soul care uh, is valuable. And then I use an app called Simply Poetry, and it allows me to do kind of a random selection of poetry uh, every day. I can search for, I can search for specific poems if I have a poem on my mind, uh, or I can read something brand new. Uh, but it allows me to read a poem every day. So I listen to uh, a classical masterpiece uh, and read a little bit about the composer. I look at beautiful art and read a little bit about the painter or the artist, and I read a piece of poetry every day uh, in addition to reading scripture. And that, you know, I decided long ago... That rather than promise myself that I would one day take a tour of the great uh, museums of Europe or something, which, you know, ha- happens in bits and pieces all the time as I go about my travels, uh, that, that better was just to do a little bit, an incremental amount every day, and uh, I would learn more, I would know more, I would be richer, my soul would be uh, more informed and shaped by great art, uh, and I would be a bit more uh, aware in the world of the beauty around me, uh, all of that has made a massive difference. Now, the final question uh, that uh, people have been asking me, and people a- ask a great deal, so I don't mind going there, is what am I going to do in voting between, uh, in this upcoming election uh, between the Libertarian Johnson, the Republican Trump, and the Democrat Hillary Clinton? Well, I am not going to d- divulge what I'm going to do in this election, uh, but I will say this. Uh, All politics is a choice between hold your nose and hold your nose tighter. There are no perfect candidates. There never have been. We have a horrible habit, particularly in American politics, of building people up on the one side and then the other side allowing that just long enough until they decide to tear that person down. I admire Ronald Reagan. He was flawed. I admire George W. Bush. He was flawed. There are things to admire about Bill Clinton. He was flawed. There are things to admire about Barack Obama. He's flawed. So all of our politicians, local and otherwise, are flawed. We're all sinners. We're all flawed. We're all a little messed up. And so I don't expect anyone to be perfect. And so what you have to do is look at your values and vote as close to your values as you can. And in this election, I will, I'm the first to admit that's very difficult. These may be the most flawed candidates um, that I've ever seen in, a, in an election um, as, as a total body. And it's disillusioning to some. It, it does come with a certain amount of despair. Uh, but I do not think that America is at an end. I do not think God is done with America. And I certainly believe that we will get through this. So vote your heart, vote your conscience, hold your nose, hold your nose tighter. Uh, come as close to you can as you can to your values. I'll be doing the same in the voting booth. Yes, I will vote. Uh, Because even if you've decided not to vote in the presidential election, there are down ballot votes that you ought to be giving if you care about your community and about your state, about your society. But I suggest you do vote at the presidential level and vote as close to your values as possible. Thanks for listening to this. We'll do it again soon. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds*. His new book is Ask the Question.